Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now we're looking uh, again at these uh, verses uh, tonight, and uh, tonight my subject is uh, Godly uh, Leaders uh, Needed. And we'll be looking at some of these requirements, the qualifications, the kind of qualities uh, that uh, the leaders uh, in the church uh, should, should have. The spotlight here is on uh, elders, the church's elder, elders, uh, the ruling elders and the teaching elders. And uh, we see similar qualifications given in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And uh, here we're looking, we're just going to focus mainly on what Paul says in this letter uh, to Titus. Now, not everyone in the church, as you know, is called to be an elder. There are only a few amongst the congregation. The congregation may be very large, uh, but one or two or three are called uh, to be elders. People uh, sometimes put themselves uh, forward uh, to uh, for, uh, for, for the eldership if such a position uh, was necessary. And if they do, well, they must be judged by uh, this criteria. If people aspire to the office of uh, eldership, well, this is how we can ascertain where do they, do they really qualify uh, for the post, as it were. Do they really uh, meet uh, these uh, conditions? And as you, as you can see here, uh, most of it have, are related to the person's character rather than uh, his giftings. Giftings are uh, in, in necessary. He must be able to rule, to teach, uh, but uh, so much so the character is so critical and is emphasized again and again. So many times we hear of people, problems rather, uh, in churches because there isn't, hasn't been an, any interview of the elders. There hasn't been any sort of mini interrogation, you could say, into their lifestyle and what they're like at home or what do they truly uh, believe about uh, the doctrines of the faith. And so people are accepted into the church and into this office purely on the basis of their success in business or their longevity in the church. They've been many, many years in the church. Well, we all know somebody can be in the church a long time and yet not really be mature in the faith, not really be ready uh, for such an office. So uh, this, this criteria is given to us uh, to check. Sometimes women's put themselves forward uh, for the eldership. We know that's happening in certain churches uh, today. It's not an unknown phenomenon. They may be very articulate women. They may be very capable women in so many uh, ways. They may be even more holy than the men in the church. 
and maybe have a better handle on doctrines and be able to grasp doctrine and explain it uh, in a better way? Should they then be accepted uh, as uh, elders? Should they be given this role of leadership in the church? And we have to say, uh, no. We're, many churches are doing it to fall in line with modern way of thinking, to bring the church into modern society. Oh, uh, women are having the authority, women are having the jobs, women are, should have access to all the positions. Nothing should be cut off from them. They should have access to everything that the man does. But here the Bible is very clear. Not only the New Testament by instruction and by example, but also the Old Testament by instruction and by example says it should be the men. When you look at the priests, it was only men who were involved in the priesthood. When you look at the, the apostles whom Christ chose, it was, oh, it was only the men in those positions of leadership. Not to say that women are on the lower, of course not. Not to say that women are not capable and have the gifts. They do, and they can use those gifts in a, a number of different ways. But just in terms of ruling in the church, well, it's not something that they should be done. We see what's happening in the Church of England, isn't it? They've tried to modernize. They've gone down that route. Let's accept women as curates and as priests and so on. And now they've gone to the next stage. Now we need to modernize even further. And now we need to bless same-sex marriages and so on. And all that is happening uh, because they're trying to st st stay in line with modern way of thinking. And, oh, we need to uh, be more appealing to the, the church, to the, to the world. We need our congregations are dwindling. We need to change. We need to adapt ourselves in order to bring these people in, to show them love, as it were. But what's happened? The exact opposite is happening. So then the numbers actually increasing in the Church of England, they're actually decreasing. They're actually still going down because even many of the, the nominal churchgoers can see through uh, these things and, and are not so uh, happy uh, with them. So uh, we, sticking with the scriptures is what we need to do. We, we see in 1 Timothy, actually, chapter 3, uh, there's the qualifications for elders there's the qualifications for deacons I mentioned, and then also deacons' wives. And there's a, a glaring omission there with the elders' wives. Why isn't anything said about elders' wives? Is deacons' wives, what they should be like? Well, it's been suggested that one reason could be uh, uh, because they're not in a, that position of eldership. They're not going to be involved in that work of teaching as an elder. If you look at the deacon, the deacon's work is the practical side of the church. They're involved in the maintenance of the building, or they're involved in helping those who are in need, and visitation, and, and uh, helping out with the poor. And Well, the deacon's wives can get along with that. They can assist their husbands in a very real way, in that way. But when it comes to the elders, well, of course, a wife can help her husband, her elder husband, in terms of visitation especially if it's to the opposite sex. It's something that's advisable. Uh, but uh, in terms of actually ruling and teaching in the church, well, she can't get in that, involved in, in that sense uh, with the work that he does. So I, that seems like quite a plausible uh, explanation. Anyway, having said that, godly leaders is what the church uh, needs, isn't it? Men of integrity. And this is so crucial 
for the church in, in our day, well, always. The world itself, the world demands uh, integrity from its political leaders, and rightly so. Companies make a big issue of this. It's expected of CEOs and those who are on the board, those who are the front line, those who represent their companies, that they, they should portray an upright and, as it were, honest image. Uh, and that's, that perception of, uh, is so important uh, for uh, companies that our leaders are in good repute. And there's nothing uh, which the world can point out in a sense and say, we don't like that, this is uh, not right. And uh, how much more so, if it's important for the world, well, friends, how much more so in the local church that there are men who are leading it, the eldership, who are, have this integrity about them, who have the, the reputation that cannot be, that is blameless, that cannot be fingers be pointed at him. Because it's not just their representation, uh, not just their reputation, they are public figures, they are representing the individual church and the church as a whole. So it's the church's reputation which is at stake. The church's, uh, uh, how the, the world views the church, how the world sees the church. You know what the world is like. You know what the unbeliever is like. He's always seeking for something to grab hold onto with which as an excuse for not believing. Oh, the church is like that. Look, look at what that leader did. Look at those financial irregularities in that church. Look at that pastor. He's lived an immoral uh, relationship. He's got involved in such a thing. Oh, the church is just hypocrites, they say. And they will latch on, sadly, to things like this. And it will give them any kind of excuse uh, uh, not to believe. So local uh, congregations need uh, godly uh, leaders. Not just leaders, but godly leaders. So one of the benefits, of course, of having godly leaders is that those who hear his preaching well, they will receive his preaching more readily. If they know this man is a sincere man, he's, he's not messing around, he's not playing about with the things of God, he's true, he's sincere, he's not a hypocrite, he's not play-acting, well, they're more likely to listen more attentively to what he has to say. The church needs godly leaders also because the believers are to take him as an example. He is to follow, uh, they are to follow Christ, but also he is there as a visible representation. It, it just happens, it's part of human nature that pe people tend to follow their leaders. And if he is an ungodly man, then he's going to lead them down ungodly ways. If he's got a fancy house, well, they say, well, pastor's got a fancy house. Well, I can have a fancy house. Oh, he's got a fancy super fast car. Well, I can have a fancy super fast car. Well, you're sort of legitimizing uh, these things uh, for them. So it's so important to have uh, a leader who uh, is along these lines. And so let's uh, just come to these qualifications. I won't spend too much time uh, with them, but we go, God willing, through, through them all just uh, somewhat briefly. Uh, so the first one is, regards his domestic life. What's the elder like at home? When he's away from the public eye, when all eyes are not on him, what's he like when he lets his uh, hair down? What's he like uh, in the home, this potential church leader? Well, the first thing 
Uh, Paul says that he must be the husband of one wife. Now, there's so much that's said about this one phrase, and there's so many different interpretations. So I'll just give you two alternate ones uh, before we come uh, to what I think it is. So the, some people say this is a prohibi prohibition against polygamy. Those who are polygamists, those who have more than one uh, wife, they are forbidden uh, from having uh, this role, from taking this role. Polygamy was actually outlawed uh, at that time by the Romans. Some of the leaders still practiced it, but it was actually outlawed. The Jews also indulged, I don't know to what degree and to what extent it was common amongst the people, but uh, some of them did, uh, were polygamists. So some think it's, it's this, this idea when Paul says he must be a, a husband of one wife. Others think the phrase uh, uh, prohibits uh, this office to those who have been married a second time. Those who have, uh, maybe their wife has passed away and then they got married a second time and they say, no, uh, this person hasn't got self-control. This person is unable to, re if he was a holy man, he would be able to control himself and he wouldn't uh, get, get married a second time. There are some, some good people who thought that. Oregon, especially, you may have heard of him, he's one of the early church fathers, very sound in many ways, I believe. Uh, but, uh, well, you may know what, what happened to him. He was a little bit on the severe side, you should say. And uh, he's, I think your brother knows where I'm going. <laughs> but uh, he's, he, he, uh, he used that phrase, uh, the, the eunuch, the Lord said about making yourself a eunuch for the kingdom of God's sake. And he took that literally. And he more or less, what he did, he castrated himself, you know, because he thought that was the, the right thing to do. He did it in his younger days when he was a little bit immature. But uh, that's sort of his way of thinking. That's, you can understand why he would come across and uh, advocate this kind of a view that a second marriage, person who's married a second time, cannot... Uh, be in this office. But I think, I don't think those are quite along the right lines. The, the meaning here is somebody who is a one woman man, somebody who is committed to just uh, one woman. And of course, that's a husband who is devoted to his wife. He has eyes only for his wife. No one else comes into his mind. No one else uh, is before him. Uh, he is, no one else comes into the equation and he is a person who is devoted to just one lady in his life, and that, in that way of love and biological love. He is only devoted to her. He is above suspicion when it comes to other ladies in the church. How does he treat the other ladies? Well, he treats the younger ones as sisters, and he treats the older ones as mothers. That's Paul's advice uh, to, to elders, uh, to Timothy, and to us. That's a good way uh, to look at it. So the main idea here is of a, of a man who is devoted to just one woman. And it, was a, such a, it would have been such a, an enormous and magnificent testimony to the people in those days because sexual vice and uh, sexual excess was so prevalent in those days. You, they had the temple prostitutes, which people made use of. They had uh, this pagan uh, custom of having companions where a married man or an unmarried man would have a young lady uh, by his side 
and uh, we, we know that even happens today, but it was very common for people to go with more than one woman. And so uh, here is this man, here is this, uh, this potential elder, he's got to st stand out as one who is dedicated to the one, one woman uh, that he loves. And what a testimony that would be. But then also his children are not exempt from uh, some measure of scrutiny. Uh, a number of commentators say uh, this words. well, let's just read it. Having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. So a number of trans commentators say that word faithful uh, could be translated believing. Uh, so in other words, that all his children must be believing children uh, if he's got to uh, be an elder. Well, it could be translated in that way. There wouldn't be an inaccurate translation of it. But uh, do we have the power to convert our children? <laughs> we wish we had. We wish we could do it, but we can't, isn't it? It's in, in God's hands. We, we sow the seed. We, we bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that's what, our, that's what this, this, this phrase, I, I believe, is saying. Be faithful in bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Teach them. Do your part. The, the, the father is doing his part uh, with his children. He's not just leaving them to get on with life uh, and to grow up of their own accord. He is inputting into their life as well. Young children, many, many of uh, these married couples, well, they may have had children who were too young to make any kind of a profession anyway. So I cannot really see how, how we could be, must have a, a prerequisite. He must have believing uh, children. But there's these children, they have, their behavior also comes under observation. They must not be accused of riot or unruly. The word riot there is not talking about wild so much in the terms of running around. Of course, they shouldn't be running around the church and causing a havoc in the church. And we've seen, we've seen sometimes that happening. But the word here is more extravagance. Uh, John Calvin uh, tr uh, translates it as not, or not devoted to luxury. Children who are not devoted to luxury. It's not enough, friends, for the pastor to live in a simple way. His wife also must live simply. His family must live simply. His children must also live uh, in this simple lifestyle. They also are all lumped together, as it were, into one boat. Oh, I've seen uh, earnest pastors, pastors who preach very well and uh, who have obviously have the ability to preach and who are serious about godly things. But sometimes you come across uh, their Facebook page of, of their children and uh, you're surprised to see what you see there. And you think, oh, this, this is so-and-so's daughter or so-and-so's son. And you think, well, uh, why isn't he doing anything about it? Why isn't he addressing this kind of issue? Because you know, the, the way this person is, is dressed or the way this person is behaving or speaking, well, that, that reflects on the pastor. That reflects on, 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 his, uh, on his witness. So it goes <coughs> without saying, friends, that uh, the, uh, they, they too must follow uh, this simple lifestyle. Uh, it doesn't mean to say they're, they're uh, suppressed children. I think sometimes I could, we go the other way. Uh, here it says, 
children who are not unruly. We believe, of course, in well-behaved children generally, but children are children at the same time. You know, we, they don't dot all their I's and cross all their T's. You know, they don't always do things as they should, and we, we should be large-hearted enough to, to realize that and to accept that and not be so uh, particular and so strict, over-strict uh, with, with them. But they're ones who are under training. And if a person's under training, well, they need a bit of patience and time and help. Uh, so uh, children who are growing up, who are being taught, who are learning, being trained in these things, and uh, who are learning to be obedient to mum and dad. And uh, that's uh, so important. Well, every home has its problems. There's no home exempt from family issues. And so it will be in, in this potential elder's home. But how did he deal with it? How did he deal with those unruly children? How did he manage them? Did he, you know, just come down like a ton of bricks on them? Uh, or did he, you know, get alongside them and try to reason with them and, and, and show them, yes, if they need discipline, then they're disciplined. But uh, it, how does he deal with the situation to bring about a resolution, to bring about a, a, a peaceful resolution and to help them to change and help uh, the family to work through the uh, particular problems. And that's so important because that's how he's going to be in the church. That's how he's going to, if he's rough and ha uh, heavy-handed at home, then he's going to be rough and heavy-handed in the church, with the people in the church. But if he's able to manage his own household, as Timothy, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse uh, 5, if a man uh, cannot rule his own house, how can he take care the church of God. If he can't take care of his own family, how can he manage uh, the, the, the men and women under his care? Uh, so that's his home. In the verse 7, we see uh, this prospe prospective elder, some of his negative characteristics that he must have. There must be things about him which are not which he is not. And then in verse 8, we'll come to the positive uh, qualities that he should have. Firstly, a uh, bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed. That means not self-pleasing. Not one who is so pleased with his, his own opinion that he's not willing to listen to anybody else. He's so happy with the conclusion that he's come to with his judgment. His judgment is the best. And uh, uh, he's, he's unwilling to accommodate other people's suggestions. And because he's so pleased with his own idea, so he is determined to do his own idea. So that's why he's self-willed. So it's actually the self-pleasing is behind it, but which leads uh, to a self-will. Uh, he is inflexible in a negative sense. His judgment is the best, and he's peeved if he doesn't get uh, his own way. Well, an elder, friends, is in place not to do his own will. An elder is in place to do uh, God's will. He must go God's way. He must lead the people according to the scriptures that are uh, before him, uh, not, uh, not going, doing his own thing, what, what he thinks. He must be one who is ready to defer if other people, his fellow elders, suggest things to him, there must be a willingness in him to defer to their suggestions if it's proved 
uh, their way is better, their way is, is biblical and his is not, or their way just is practically better, there's got to be a willingness on his part. Uh, he cannot be so inflexible about his own view. We see a lot of this sort of will worship, we could say, about it, even in churches, isn't it? Today, man's will uh, coming uh, into the worship and the church and the decision-making uh, of God. I happened to see just this week, in fact, uh, an elder, something that happened in the church. I haven't, I haven't seen this before. Maybe you have. But uh, I saw an elder uh, leading a, a service, and uh, he was, came to the, the reading of the Scripture, and uh, he said he prayed, and prayed it with his eyes open, and, and which is another thing <laughs> which I found very uncomfortable to, to see. But and he, he prayed with his eyes wide open, and he, he said his amen, and then he said, now we're going to have our reading. And instead of opening the Bible and reading from the Scriptures, well, he said, we're going to watch the Jesus movie, and that portion of Scripture that which he was going to preach from, he showed uh, on the projection, projection screen. And, uh, of course, it... You know, it, it's, a, it's sort of like a dumbing down for the congregation, isn't it? And so, you know, you're all used to like the video and you're all used to seeing uh, the, the, the action-packed movies on, on YouTube and the films. And so we'll, we'll move away from the scriptures, reading a bit, and we'll just watch it. Well, I, 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 I'm not, I think, uh, I don't think much of the idea because what, what are you saying? What are you saying by such an action? You're saying, well, the scriptures, to read the scriptures at home, well, don't do that. You can just watch something, listen to something instead. You don't need to read it. You know, uh, it's, it's sort of making, that to read the scriptures is boring. You need something a little bit more enlivening. Whereas if, if the scriptures are read uh, in, in a way that is, uh, it should be read and it's preached in a way that should be preached, it should be exciting to people. It shouldn't be boring to people. It should be of interest to people. But I think it's, it doesn't contribute. But it's, where did this come from? You know, somebody decided uh, this is the way that we're going to go. Anyway, uh, let's uh, move on. Uh, this man mustn't be soon angry. That's easy to understand. He's not to be quick-tempered and not irascible, so easily uh, angered, so prone uh, to outbursts of anger but one who has control of his temper, one who can manage his temper. It's at his command. If he, if he can't command himself, his own temper, how can he govern in the church? How can he manage? Not given to wine. <laughs> Near, uh, somebody has uh, said of this, not one who loves to linger beside wine, or somebody who always has a bottle on the table, or such a one. Uh, well, is, is given to excess uh, in this uh, particular scenario, uh, particular uh, criteria. I think we would argue that if it's an elder and a pastor especially, that uh, it would be better for him to be a teetotaler uh, rather than even to indulge in any bit, especially in the drinking culture uh, that we're living in in these days. And then he's not to be a striker a violent person, one who wounds other people, one who is quick with his fists in a, in a dispute, one who strikes back with his fists when he's annoyed, a violent person. Physically, yes, of course, that's obvious he shouldn't be doing that, but people can do it with words. 
People can strike others with their words and wound others with their words. And sometimes very sharply they can do that. Well, how can you approach? How can a, a member in the congregation feel at ease to approach such a person? They wouldn't want to come and talk to you. I've got a problem, Pastor. You know, can you help me? If they know temperamentally he's not stable and any time he can hit out. You know, so uh, it's, his roughness uh, may make him an unapproachable person. So that would disqualify such a person. And then finally, of course, not given to filthy lucre, not greedy for gain, a covetous person. Sadly, again, we have to say there are many in the ministry today who are uh, always making appeals, always constantly asking their congregations to give, to give uh, again and again. And a lot of it goes into their own pockets. And we see this, especially in the charismatic churches. Not, I don't want to tar every charismatic preacher with this brush, but uh, we do find a number of charismatic friends, preachers, talking about prosperity. And uh, they're talking about being rich, and the pastor must be almost the richest of them all. And uh, often he is the richest of them all, because they're all giving their money to him. Uh, but it has an effect on the congregation, because then you find many of our charismatic friends are also talking the same language. They also think, well, we also should be rich. Riches are a testimony of God's blessing, they say, on our lives. We never hear anything about what Paul says about the foolish and hurtful lusts that often come with being rich, and how it can make you cold towards the Lord and take you as a very real danger. It could take you away from the Lord. We don't hear those kind of things coming from them so much. We, they can't really say them because so many are given uh, to covetousness. So uh, it's so vital that there's not a hint of this desire for filthy lucre, that the ministry is being used to enrich uh, oneself. Well, verse 8, the positive of virtues. A lover of hospitality. He must be uh, positively a lover of, of, of people. And uh, here the idea is fond of guests and uh, strangers. Uh, this is true, of course, for now. We are to be hospitable people. It needs no explanation. But especially in the times, uh, in those days, uh, Christian travelers, well, they may have come from far. They needed a place to stay. To stay in the local inn wasn't like our B&Bs that we have today. Okay, it's a lot different. There were places where there were brawls. There were places of vice. So a Christian having to live or stay even overnight in those places, well, it would have been a very terrible experience for them. They would have found it very difficult Besides, a number of these believers, they just didn't have enough to stay overnight. They were suffering, they were persecuted, they were being hounded, they'd been hounded maybe out of their homes and maybe even out of their lands, and they just didn't have the wherewithal uh, to provide for themselves. So to go to a place and have an open door, a uh, hospitable door from the elders, well, that would have been uh, so delightful and helpful to them and also so pleasing uh, to the Lord. Attached to hospitality, uh, a lover of good men, or a lover of that which is uh, good. 
a lover of good things, a sober person, somebody who is safe and sound in their mind, a rational person, a balanced person, somebody who doesn't act rashly, somebody who doesn't, as soon as he hears something, he receives it, but he weighs things up. What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages of things? He's thinking about uh, these things. He's, uh, he's a balanced in his uh, views. A just person, somebody uh, who is just in his dealings with men. A holy person, somebody who is concerned about his relation with God. He's concerned for purity. He's concerned to live a sanctified uh, life. Uh, this is uh, evident uh, in, him, in him. And then finally, one who is, well, there's too much, uh, he's temperate. Uh, somebody uh, who has the power over himself. He has the mastery over himself. He's, he's moderate in all things. He has a command uh, over his food. He has a command over how, how, how long he sleeps, uh, his leisure activities. Uh, legitimate things. He doesn't allow them to, to power, overpower him and get the better of him so that he ends up spending uh, hours and hours uh, doing a particular activity and the work of God is neglected. He has learned uh, self-discipline and uh, this is also so vital. I, I hope you don't mind me saying this but I do find it hard sometimes or difficult when Pastors, you hear pastors who are working on their golf scores and their, I don't know how people can play golf. It's, it's such a time-consuming activity. Uh, if they are regular golf players, 18-hole, the, the long courses, you know, I don't know how long it takes. But to hear sometimes pastors do, do mention these things and you wonder, well, how can you manage, to, have you got the time uh, to give yourself to those things? One thing, they're retired, but... If they're in the ministry and uh, actively serving their churches, which I'm sure they are, but is it too much time? Well, we need to be temperate uh, in all things. And then finally, holding fast the faithful word. Well, I won't say much about that, uh, to that tonight. We'll leave that uh, for uh, tomorrow. So just uh, in closing, so when selecting elders, friends, these are the kind of qualities we look for. Are they found in him? Not in a perfect way, of course, but in some measure. Are they found in us, in the laity? Because it's not only for him, it's for, these are attributes, qualities for all of us. Am I uh, self-willed? Or am I willing to, to yield to others? To, uh, have I, am I holy? Am I just? Am I temperate in my lifestyle? Have I gained a mastery over myself? Have I gained a mastery over my pastimes, my leisure? Or is there an excessive amount of time uh, given to these? Well, these are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves as we uh, go on in our uh, work of sanctification and of pursuing holiness.